2: With today's technology, we are more connected than ever before, and yet, it has been reported that social isolation is a growing epidemic in the United States. The number of Americans with no close friends has tripled since 1985, and more Americans are living alone, particularly people over 60. As it turns out, we can have hundreds of friends on social media without having any meaningful friendships. Joining us today to talk about how we can break through our isolation and build community is Val Walker, a rehabilitation consultant and contributing blogger for Psychology Today. Val is the author of 400 Friends and No One to Call. Welcome, Val. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Val, as I said in the introduction, we are more connected than ever, and yet we are lonelier than ever before without real meaningful connections. So what do you believe is at the root of this?
3: I think that what's happened is we've lost the ability to have long and meaningful conversations. We live in such a distracted and fragmented world where we're interrupted and it takes actually uh, away from our sense of connection when we're constantly being interrupted and distracted when we're trying to have a conversation. So I would say one of the biggest reasons is a lack of conversation, and that can actually make you feel lonely.
2: Now, what happened in your life
3: that made you realize
2: you needed to make changes?
3: Yes, there was a big, I would say, life-changing experience back in June of 2012, I had a hysterectomy, and before he- I went in for surgery, I'd lined up a few very trusted friends to help me out. I didn't have family around, so um, I counted on them, and I had- we had helped each other out for years, by the way. So, I was shocked when I woke up the following morning in my hospital bed. I had the IVs around me. I was groggy and sore, and i get a text message (laughs) shocking i looked at it and found out that my friend could not show up she had a family emergency and a lot of other things just i couldn't reach out to anyone i was totally stranded and um long story made short the hospital discharged me at three that afternoon Uh, i sat in the lobby and had no one I could reach. Uh, I felt very abandoned, very afraid. Uh, I couldn't believe that I had I knew so many people, but I couldn't find anybody to help me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very
2: ashamed. So that one of the interesting things that I've learned in my life is that I'm the connector. If I don't initiate activities, they don't happen, and people will often say to me that they think I'm too busy or... They don't want to bother me. So why do you think that that's the case? Why are there some people like me that are the initiators and others who don't think to do it?
3: Oh, I could answer that because I used to be one of the people who was afraid to initiate. I was introverted. And I really had thought, well, people are sort of supposed to somehow pick up on these cues, but they don't always so what I learned from my experience of having no one show up at the hospital, and this came upon me through my sense of compassion, the way I got the message, I had to be proactive and reach out and be like an advocate for myself. Bottom line was my self-compassion for my sense of loneliness and shame, for feeling like I lacked support. You see, I felt so bad about myself. Did I do something wrong? Why did these people not show up? Was I not such a good friend? Were they not such good friends? So what I needed to do, was, I reminded myself, golly Val, you've been a counselor. You're a rehabilitation counselor. You've worked with people who are far lonelier and more isolated than you for 20 years. What did you do for them? Well, first of all, you advocated for them. You spoke up for them. You taught them to self-advocate. You taught them to ask for help. And you taught them mostly to learn how to find the right kinds of people who could respond. So, bottom line, Joan, is I learned to do that for myself. I finally, that was my wake-up call. Val, you're great at doing it for other people. Now you've got to do it for yourself, and please stop feeling ashamed that your friends didn't show up when you needed the most. So I did turn it around, Joan, and that's what made me want to write a book about this. I realized it had to come from within to reach out, and that when you give support, you might actually get support. It goes both ways. (laughs) So there's nothing for a person to feel bad about
2: because that is the first question. When you're left alone, you automatically think, what did I do wrong?
3: Yes. And there's stigma in our society that if people don't show up, you must have done something wrong. There's enormous stigma about being without support. Oh, my gosh, my family's not around. Oh, I don't have a spouse. I don't have this person or I don't have that. Who can I count on? And uh, I find that when you truly accept your situation with love, And a great sense of compassion, I keep using that word, but it really is compassion in action will help you activate getting out there and saying, I'm going to start building a network of support. Okay, so many
2: people are living alone today than ever before, either by choice or events out of their control. And you keep talking about the importance of building relationships and reaching out. So wearing your counselor hat, can you help us build those deep, meaningful relationships. What are some of the ways that you can do that?
3: Thanks for asking that. You know, it's been a great part of my book examining the most, I would say, successful and evidence-based ways of building support. So I'm happy to outline a few of the most important ways. Well, first of all, Start with building support by looking at people who might be isolated by the same thing you are. Finding a support group or people who have the same issues in common. In my case, I had colitis, a serious inflammatory bowel disease. And I found support by going to a support group. And by the way, people with colitis can be very isolated socially, too, because of the flare-ups when you're connecting with people. So I found great camaraderie and support by reaching out to a support group. We can even do that now during the coronavirus pandemic, by the way, by finding support groups. There are plenty we can build even virtually. So that's one way to build community is actually finding people who have the same things that they're isolated by as you. And believe it or not, the things that isolate you can become ways to unite you with other people. So that's number one. Number two is through actually volunteering and reaching out. When you help out, you feel less helpless and you feel less lonely. So turning your sense of of reaching out into action and volunteering is a wonderful way to gradually build relationships with people and build friendships. The beauty of volunteering is it can be a regular way to connect with people and you're sharing a sense of mission and purpose together. So I highly recommend volunteering even now during the virus, we can find ways to help out in our community one way or another. There are remote ways to volunteer, um, too. So volunteering is huge for helping us build networks. Um, It's like investing in your wider community to offer your service and interest in others. So that's number two. That's huge. And number three is through learning, your interest in things, uh, taking courses, joining with others and sharing your common passions and interests and learning together. And that includes study groups and quests for knowledge. It's wonderful to have study buddies or meet classmates or people. You can build personal friendships, you know, through a common uh, study So I would say those top three are the most important.
2: Now, what we're going through right now, you mentioned the coronavirus a few times in that answer. And while there are so many challenges that we are experiencing, could this be a blessing in disguise? Could this be an opportunity for us to build deep, meaningful relationships?
3: I absolutely see that happening. I I think that is exactly what's happening. We're having an opportunity to have longer, more heartfelt conversations, even what we used to call heart-to-heart, I see that. And it's as if we're reaching out to each other because we feel a lot of grief and anxiety and uncertainty. So, yes, I think in many respects, it's bringing the best out of each other. And like I told you in the beginning when I started my book six years ago, how I was feeling we weren't having good conversations, that social media and our lifestyle had more or less kind of dissed conversations, you know. Mm -hmm. And now we're really saying, you know, this is our lifeline, We don't have much else right now. We can get on Zoom and have conversations or send letters and reach out and have conversations one way or another. But, yay, uh, in praise of conversations, absolutely. This is what's happening now. And I hope
2: that all of this continues when we get to the other side of whatever that looks like. I hope that all of this does continue.
3: I think it will. I think it's showing the importance of it. I I really think this will have a long-lasting effect on us. I also think because we can't see people physically, you know, the old saying, um, you know, your heart feels more sorrowful um, when you can't see that person in person. And I think it makes us kind of feel even more love for each other because we're both sort of We're all of us feeling so helpless in a way that it makes us love each other even more. I know that sounds a little rosy, but Mm -hmm. I feel a kind of tenderness, especially for friends that may be even more isolated than myself or even family members, long-lost family members I'm reaching out to now that I haven't talked to in years, cousins across the country, you know, your so-called long-lost cousins. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people out there who would love to hear from you, so i found great very tender uh, kind of reunions with people uh, whether it's just a phone call or through Zoom I'm, I'm reconnecting and it's like rediscovering I've got all these people in my life I had forgotten about.
2: So Val when we try to build these meaningful relationships a lot of times we're, we're searching for that perfect that, that that person that we believe to be that perfect match but you know there's that saying opposites attract. Is it good idea in the long term to build these types of relationships with people that are very different or should we be looking for people that are more like us?
3: Well, my answer, and I have found this to be true, and I also want to say I've done research on this and I profiled 15 people who also found to be true what we need to do is both. We not only foster good relationships with those close to us and strengthen those by reaching out but also, it's really important to get out of this mindset, and I'm pretty much an advocate of this, get out of the mindset that you just have a tribe or that you're just only going to belong to people who think like you and build that tribe. I believe we need both. We, yes, we need a tribe of folks who think like us, and can we can kind of chime in with each other and bolster each other's confidence, but boy, do we also need to break out of thinking of just the tribe. There is a wider community, and I have found, even with people who are politically or spiritually really different than me, some of them have come through with some of my best friends. I kid you not. They have stepped up and helped me out when I've been in a pickle, and I've done that for them when they're in a pickle. So one woman helped me move, Uh, One time when I was strapped and I needed help moving my stuff out of an apartment. And by the same token, I was a pretty good resume writer because I like to write. So I helped her do some resumes. Mm -hmm. And it's like we exchanged each other's, you know, strengths and skills, and we needed each other. So my message in my book is build your connections through the wider community, just as much as you strengthen your connections with your closer circle. Uh, if you really need to do both in this day and age, we can't only rely on those closest to us. As I told you my story about being stranded in the hospital, it's because I was over-reliant on just a couple of friends. I dare say I learned a lesson to invest more in people both at work or in my wider community so that it was okay to ask for help and that I could also help them.
2: Now, even when we follow your advice and and we try all of these things, there will still be people who may not be interested in developing a friendship. So when that happens, what advice do you offer to help us avoid that feeling of rejection?
3: Boy, it does and I'm just going to say it, it does hurt sometimes when we have put ourselves out to someone and shared our heart with someone. And for some reason, that person just is not interested in having you in their life one way or another. I think it does. First of all, there is pain uh, and we need to do something with that pain. And one of my I hate sounding like I'm handing out advice but what's been helpful for me, my clients as well as the people I profiled in my book is that we do need to find at least one comforting presence for ourselves that we can be vulnerable with. We need someone whether it's a person we've known from the past or a close friend or we find therapy or we find uh, through our faith-based or spiritual community, we find someone who we can actually be vulnerable with and say, you know what, this is painful, I need to talk to somebody about this. I don't think we can do this all by ourselves, Joan, reaching out to people, and we need a person who's basically in our court rooting for us, encouraging us, helping us. And actually, we sometimes need to practice having conversation. We might be rusty. We might have been isolated by so much that we've lost our ability to have an easy conversation and chat with somebody. We feel awkward. So we sometimes need a person we can just practice with and uh, not only share our feelings, but actually practice chatting and talking with. So um, some people are going to need that. Um, and maybe they'll feel stronger about reaching out and trying a group when they have at least one person. They've built up some confidence and been able to work through it.
2: The book is 400 Friends and No One to Call, Breaking Through Isolation and Building Community. If you would like to get more information about Val and her work, you can visit valwalkerauthor.com, or as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. Val, in our final moments, what's the takeaway?
3: Takeaway is giving and receiving. That funny enough, when we reach out, we don't have to be at our best. We don't have to have it all together to reach out and be there for someone, just listening, just caring, uh, showing up for people, that there's enormous reward in doing that. And sometimes when you reach out and help, you might even get some support. And during this time of grief, and anxiety as well as social distancing uh, please don't shy away keep reaching out you might be surprised just how much uh, you feel better by just connecting with someone
2: Val, thank you so much for joining us thank you so much this is conversations with joan stay with us we'll be right back
1: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
4: Calm,
5: vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison.
2: Hi, this is Joan Herman. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Find Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them To discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. She is here today to discuss the importance of a positive body image for women. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
2: Eileen, women receive messages about beauty from so many external sources. We're given such unrealistic expectations that have a tremendous influence on the way we end up feeling about ourselves. How do these messages impact self-esteem and emotional development? Uh, I think that's a wonderful
0: question. Um, Negatively, the messages that we receive uh, affect us negatively throughout our lives. They can't help but because the images, as you said, the images that we receive are unrealistic. Yet, they're presented as if this is the way we should look. This is the way we should have unflawed uh, skin and a perfectly um, elongated and toned body. And it's virtually impossible for many women, one, because we're human and we are not walking around with the ability to Photoshop and airbrush ourselves. And uh, number two, there are so many women, um, myself included, who are not built to look like the cultural ideal of beauty today, which is thin and lean.
2: So because these messages, whether they be negative or positive, they create the way that we see ourselves. And can you explain then how these self-thoughts influence what we do or don't do?
0: Another wonderful question. Um, When we're not feeling good about ourselves, Uh, we don't necessarily uh, take risks. When we don't feel good about ourselves, we don't necessarily uh, have the energy to uh, try new things. For example, whether it's to uh, try a dating website or to go uh, searching for a new job because the one we have Um, has become uh, unsatisfactory to us. We don't necessarily embark on the activities that we used to find maybe when we were children um, exciting or um, important in our lives, whether it's going to the beach for a swim or whether it's uh, going out to restaurants and trying new foods, getting together with our friends, because we don't feel good about ourselves. There are so many women amongst us whose lives have begun to shrink because they have negative thoughts and feelings about their bodies.
2: And this is such a life-saving message, Eileen, because I believe, and I know you do as well, that this is something we need to teach our children because it can, as you're explaining help us to take more chances in life, to actually live a life. And and the ramifications can go all the way to, you know, God forbid, suicide when someone feels so badly about herself. So understanding the scope of the problem and the need for change, what do we do? What strategies can we implement to start to see ourselves in a different light?
0: Another wonderful question. And before I answer that specifically, I need to say that we We cannot expect that the change is going to come external to us because we have multi-billion dollar companies and industries, diet industry, exercise industry, fashion industry, who are marketing to us that we have flaws and that their whole goal is not to make us feel better. Oh, by the way, their goal is to make us feel bad about ourselves. So we'll buy their products and services so that we will feel better about ourselves, but of course we don't because it's impossible to look like those um, marketing messages. So there's that. So the point being that each of us has to take it upon ourselves as individual women to change ourselves. And so what happened for me many decades ago, I decided that I was going to keep track of my negative thoughts about my body. I was going to keep track of my negative thoughts about myself. And there were two messages that came up for me pretty repeatedly, jump The first one was, you're stupid. And... I'm the farthest thing from stupid. And the second thing that came up all the time was your fat. And your fat was pretty pervasive. It would just, the, the thought would pop into my head whether I passed by a store window and saw either the mannequin or my reflection in the store. And also, um, it happened because I would, you know, get dressed in the morning or get undressed at night. And there would be this imperfect body staring back at me. And I would say, you're fat. And the point here is that I carried around a little notebook and I wrote down uh, a hashtag for every thought that I had that was either about I'm stupid or I'm fat. And I can't tell you how many little notebooks in my purse that I filled up. And then what I realized I had to do was stop that message. So I said to myself, I learned to say, stop it, Irene. That's not helpful. And I said, I'm sorry, Eileen, that was mean, or that was faulty, or that was whatever. And then I reframed it. So I'm fat became, you know, you're not fat, but you're just not feeling all that good about yourself today, which is not a, a totally positive message, because I wasn't in a place where I was able to be positive about myself. However, it's, certainly did not have the negative impact. It didn't take the toll psychologically, emotionally on my life that you're fat or you're stupid did.
2: Everything that you said, I'm sure, is resonating with many of our listeners because those were two statements that I used most of my life up until the age of 43. Well, and those were are. the two of them. I'm stupid. Yep. Again, I, you know, I'm hardly an ignorant woman and I'm fat. <laughs> exactly. Those were the two Statements right. I use to describe myself. So I'm sure that right. there are a lot of women that are, are listening to this right now saying, you know, yeah, that that's me. I, I talk the same way about myself. So to
0: to make individual change, I think we have to also look at ourselves with gentler eyes. So, you know, I pretend that I've just got this uh, lush lighting in my bathroom and over the mirrors in, in my house. So my skin is glowy and I don't see the wrinkles or the, you know, cellulite. Do I have cellulite? Yes, I have cellulite. I don't see any of that. So I look at myself through gentler eyes now. I would recommend women do that. And then secondly, um, I would also say we just really need to adopt the belief that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes. And it does. All we have to do is look at the natural world, look out our windows and see that there is not one shape and size of a tree. There are so many, nor of animals uh, and flowers. They're beautiful because they exist. And we are beautiful because we are alive.
2: Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. This is such an important topic. If our listeners would like to learn more about this or about Eileen and her work, you can visit Eileen's website, findbodyfreedom.com. And as always, to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. Eileen, again, thank you so much for joining us.
0: And thank you so much for having me, Joan. A pleasure.
2: We'll be right back. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, search for Conversations with Joan, and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, CYACYL.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with
6: Joan.
7: This is WNYM inside New Jersey, New York City.
2: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. The coronavirus outbreak has many of us worried about staying healthy. To combat this or any illness... It's important to keep our immune system in top-fighting shape. Joining us today to provide tips so we can do that is Mark Anthony, the founder of Prospect Fitness located in Brooklyn, New York. Mark is also the Vice President of Operations for Diet Typing Systems, an online personal diet therapy system. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me on today.
2: So, Mark, we've been stuck in our house, scared, lonely, sad, and... When we have those types of feelings, we may tend to eat junk food or sit on the couch watching TV. How important is proper nutrition and exercise to keeping the immune system strong anytime, but especially now?
1: It's of the most importance at this point in time. Uh, With the current COVID pandemic and how fast it came on, we kind of need to be prepared for anything at this point in time. But you definitely can't let your immune system slide. It's really important to find the personalized diet that works best for you and stick with it and shoot for roughly about 20 to 45 minutes of exercise at roughly about 60% of your top end volume you don't want to go over because there's actually a study out there that's been proved that if you exercise too much you can actually risk yourself for greater infection so you don't want to burn yourself out
2: so mark you're a trainer so what would you say to one of your clients who just says to you i'm tired i'm depressed i don't want to get off this couch give us some motivation to get moving what would you say
1: one of the big things is try to find the underlying reasons for why that's, that's happening. So once depressed, um, I would actually try to ask them what foods that have, they've been eating to see if there's any foods that were triggering depression. So a lot of times, like excess starchy foods or sugary foods could actually uh, put somebody into a depressive roller coaster ride. Um, if there is some real emotional stress going on, it might be best to refer them out to a psychologist or somebody that can that can get them going. But then just, you know, also it could just be like, hey, I'm, I need to get off the couch and maybe about 10 minutes of just some light, moderate exercise might be enough to kind of tip the scale for them to feel good. And then if they just keep going for... 10 minutes and then increasing to the 20 or 30 minutes, they might get back onto the, the track that they were once before.
2: And that's because movement of any kind, it produces more serotonin in the brain, which is that feel good, happy chemical.
1: Absolutely. So uh, movement does a lot of things. It clears toxins out of the body. Um, it starts burning up the extra glucose in our in our bodies and too much glucose can set us up for Um, adverse health conditions as well.
2: So at a time like this, Mark, we may not have access to the fresh produce the way we want, or we may be limited in our selection. So what do you advise we eat and stay away from in order to make the best of this situation?
1: Um, Some of the best foods uh, that are mood uh, producing are things like spinach, mushrooms, pumpkin seeds, uh, asparagus, And uh, a little bit of lamb or liver also work well, as well as uh, almonds and wild salmon as well. So those uh, help improve, have been proven to improve people's moods.
2: Being in close quarters in our home, sometimes we don't really have the space to do some type of exercise. But is there something that you recommend when we're limited on space?
1: You know, there's lots of ways to make what was a common exercise a little bit more difficult. As far as like squats, um, if you all of a sudden just balance on one leg and try to do a squat on one leg, uh, you can make it immensely harder. Also, if you uh, have a step and you put one foot off the side of the step and try to do a body weight step up just from there, the exercise can become harder. If you start holding things in one hand versus the other hand or lifting something with one hand versus two hands, all of a sudden exercises become more increasingly difficult. So there's a range and there's a way of uh, changing your body position or changing how you're holding something that will all of a sudden make that exercise increase in difficulty.
2: So Mark, what's the takeaway regarding food and, and
1: exercise at this time? Definitely keep doing it. Um, It is the most important thing that you can do. You never know when something is gonna strike and you need to be ready. Um, The pandemic came on really fast and that's the one thing that I have learned um, just being here in New York, that you you need to be prepared. So letting yourself go at this point in time is not gonna set you up for success for making it through the pandemic and coming out on the other side, feeling your best and being your most healthy.
2: Mark, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Mark or any of his work, you can visit prospectfitness.com. Again, that's prospectfitness.com. Or as always, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, John.
2: We'll be right back.
5: you have a parent in their 80s there's a chance you are thinking about retiring and enjoying some leisure time or doing some traveling you may have raised your children and paid the last of those college tuitions and are feeling more financially free a sudden crisis with your 80 something year old parent can change all of that in a minute Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. We see these situations all the time, and some people are prepared, but many are not. What do you need to do proactively to best navigate a health crisis or a change in the level of care your parent may need? First and foremost, know what your parents' medical conditions are, what medications they take, and the possible side effects of those medications. Equally important is to know who all of their physicians are and what their contact information is. Remember, due to HIPAA laws, those physicians can't speak with you unless you are named as a contact person on that HIPAA form. In regards to legal matters, it is wise to have a power of attorney, a health care proxy document, and an advance directive. It can save a lot of heartache to have the conversation about what your parents' end-of-life wishes are ahead of time. You should also know what type of insurance plan they have. It is a wise idea to get yourself authorized to speak to those insurance companies on your loved one's behalf. Do not leave this elder journey to chance. If you need a nurse advocate and health coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com.
4: Time is often viewed as the passing minutes measured by the clock or as the stream of the days marked on a calendar. If you strictly view time from this viewpoint, you will fall short of getting the full value of the future awaiting you. Did you know that time has two dimensions? The dimensions are hours and energy. By wasting one, we waste the other. Conversely, by preserving one, we preserve the other. Dimension is defined as a measurable extent of some kind, such as length, breadth, depth, or height. If we perceive the time we are given as a gift, then the energy we put into everything we do will amplify the time we have. What you put in is what you will ultimately get out, a time ROI. Therefore, managing our time and our lives well will reap great rewards. Time is not given to us. It is made available to us. We don't own it. We only have the privilege of using it. Good time management isn't simply about getting more done in less time. It's about getting the right things done at the right time. It's not just about efficiency, it's about effectiveness. And effectiveness requires focus and discipline. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, star1professional.com. Do you ever think to yourself,
7: what is my life's purpose or why am I here? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I'm a certified life coach. I have a master's in holistic health studies. I'm a member of Resolve and also a member of the ICF New Jersey. I support women who feel they are at a crossroads in life by helping them find clarity and direction. I specialize in helping women with infertility and reproductive disorders. To answer this question, it is most important for you to understand your life purpose is who you are at your core, not the roles you play in life. To further clarify this, you can ask yourself the five W's. Who are you called to be in life? What is the legacy you hope to have? When do you feel aligned or fulfilled? Where do you currently find meaning? And last, why are you here on this earth? These questions will begin to help you on your journey to find your life purpose. For more information or to contact me, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com. There, you will also be able to book a free 20-minute discovery call. Are your shoulders tight? Do stretch
6: and move. Movement is so important, yet many people do not take the time to do some simple stretches every day to keep their bodies in optimum health. Hi, I'm Carrie Carpido from KP Holistic Health and Fitness. I'm a yoga teacher and holistic health and lifestyle coach. I believe movement is a key to longevity. Simple stretches can help keep your joints lubricated, your muscles flexible and toned, and your mind calm. I hear of many cases of frozen shoulder syndrome today. Why does this happen? This happens because the shoulder joint does not get as much movement as it should. When you move your shoulder your of sacs emit a fluid called synovial fluid which lubricates your joints and keeps them healthy don't get frozen shoulder syndrome start moving today you can start by just rolling your shoulders back gently try rolling them forward a few times then take it into a little deeper roll really working the shoulders and upper back tricow face pose arms raise your right hand to the sky bring your left hand to the small of your back your palms should face out the top of your hand is touching your back here start walking your left hand up your spine as far as you can without pulling on anything this should be comfortable bend your right elbow so your right hand comes down to your back Can your right hand meet your left hand? If so, hook your fingers together here. If the fingers do not meet, use a belt or a strap to gently stretch the shoulders. Keep your back straight, chin up, and chest out. Try to keep your right elbow pointed towards the sky and your left elbow pointed toward the ground. You should not feel any tingling or numbness or pain if you do let go immediately. Try to stay here for a few breaths, then gently release the hands and bring them back to your sides and roll the shoulders back. Be sure to do this on the other side to keep everything even. Congratulations, you just did a yoga pose. Are you ready to continue on your yoga journey? Visit my website at knpholistic.com to book a group class or private session today.
2: to live a happy productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on-call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is Heidi Rome an autism moms coach and founder of mom spectrum oasis Heidi's autism hope mindset system empowers a mom to take back her life while creating a bright future for her spectrum child welcome Heidi thank you so much for joining us
8: thank you so much for having me here Joan it's a pleasure to be here
2: Heidi, you've spoken on this program about your autism path with your younger son, Ethan, and we know that he's now 14 and has severe autism that limits his ability to speak and it can trigger disruptive behaviors when he becomes upset from sensory overload. Our listeners have heard your story about the conversation you had with Ethan when he was 11, and that took place via the spelling to communicate typing technique. That conversation transformed your sadness into a new perspective that autism is not a tragedy to be overcome, but is instead a spiritual path to be embraced. I want to challenge you a bit about Ethan's advice. You just have to love me. And I want to talk about what ancient wisdom teaches us about love and how to apply these practical lessons on a spiritual autism journey. So let's start off today by talking about Chinese wisdom. What does ancient Chinese wisdom teach us about what love is? Joan, you know, we've talked about uh, in another segment, we talked about
8: Hebrew and Chinese characters, like Hebrew letters, are also very rich in imagery and metaphor, and they pack a lot of meaning. So if we look at the traditional version of the Chinese symbol for love, uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right, A. It has root components with individual meanings and then a combined message. So there's a component that lies in the middle of the symbol called sin, and it means the heart which itself, that, that character, is even further broken down into other symbols that mean accept, feel, and perceive, and imply graceful motion. Then there's another component located directly above that one, which means breathe into, and then together – These symbols define love as something that deeply moves a person and instills in them a passionate yearning, and even visually, if you look at it, implies the slow walk of someone who is reluctant to move away or leave another. So you pull pull that all together, and Chinese wisdom is teaching that love is a combination of the heart, inspiration, grace, and action. And that just feels so true to me.
2: So Heidi, how do we apply this learning about the Chinese word for love to Ethan's parenting instruction, you just have to love me?
8: Answering that question is why I am looking at these ancient language words, you know, for for direction, because I want to understand better when he says, you just have to love me. And and that is your job is like, well, you know, great kid. But (laughs) what does that really mean? So that's so that's why I'm looking and I and I feel that all the aspects of the Chinese character for love shine a light on what makes Ethan's advice so wise and practical on the autism journey because I love the combination of heart acceptance inspiration and action love in its highest ideal and pragmatic form is a combination of heart connection awareness of being inspired by something greater than you are in this physical realm and realization that it is through action that love is actually is, is truly actualized and recognized because love without action is is empty. you know it's an empty maybe a fleeting emotion even if it's pleasant. Grace is one of the components um, indicated by the Chinese. Grace is perceived by the heart. You know, more than your mind, really, your heart feels grace, and it implies beauty and, and awareness of, of what is greater than a mortal can perceive with his, you know, regular senses. Without grace, love may not feel beautiful or desirable. You know, without it, love can even become a burdensome obligation and maybe meaningless or without purpose and something we heart, it's hard to say, but, you know, something to even be pushed away Action, though usually in the form of giving, is the manifesting agent of love's potential. You know, one especially powerful way to give to another is to accept from them. I, I, you know, and this is all the wisdom embedded in the Chinese, to accept the wholeness of who they are and, and all that they can give you in whatever form that giving may be. So just as we learned from Hebrew that giving is loving, loving is giving— Chinese teaches that loving is accepting and accepting is loving. And when we engage with another by giving or by receiving, our hearts open and we're inspired to take action. So from your heart, be inspired to accept, to connect and to act. And this is how Ethan's words, you just have to love me and that is your job, can be interpreted through the lens of ancient Chinese wisdom, about love reflected in its very language.
2: Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this or Heidi and her work, you can visit MomsSpectrumOasis.com. That's moms with an S, com. Or as always, you can hear more from Heidi by visiting our website, cyacyl.com slash Heidi. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a French child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boy spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole. An oval and a circle, a square and a triangle, a rectangle and a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life – work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work no matter how hard we push or on what angle it would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square we recognize the shapes as being different so why do we make those claims about people why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful thinking about what could have been perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy unique with our own characteristics perfect in our design but not always a fit Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative change your attitude, change your life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now.
1: a preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.